3: Hi everyone! My name is Jack, and recent events changed my life and my girlfriend's life once and for all. It was a very difficult time for us. Misunderstanding of parents, lack of support, and condemnation of society are just a few things we had to go through, but let's start the story from the very beginning. I was born into a very wealthy family with a rich history dating back to the centuries of the first knights, dukes, and other representatives of medieval authorities. We have many relics that prove our belonging to the royal lineage and even ancient traditions, some of which are still observed. My family was always proud of this especially the older generation. And we've always done our best to maintain the status of an ancient lineage. Nevertheless, I studied at a regular school. The only thing that made it different from the rest of the schools was the park in which my friends and I like to spend dinner time or just chat before going home after school. I met Annie there. She was sitting on the bench and reading The Dialogues of Plato. It seemed to me very unusual and even a little amusing. While all my classmates were fond of love poems and romantic novels for girls, she was studying the works of ancient Greek philosophers. My friends laughed at me when they found out that I wanted to get acquainted with Annie. There were a lot of unpleasant rumors about her. About the poverty of her family, the shady past, and a bunch of other false stories. She was considered to be weird since she always carried around books, didn't communicate with anyone, and seemed as if she wasn't interested in anything other than studying. It didn't seem strange to me, so I decided to get acquainted with her and didn't regret it at all. Annie turned out to be a very smart, kind, and interesting person. We quickly found a common language and could spend hours discussing various works of art, books, music. We became best friends and eventually fell in love with each other. However, something happened soon. It completely changed our life with Annie. Annie had a car accident and she was on life support. It was a severe stress for me. I was sitting for hours next to her ward all the time. I didn't even go to school. I left the hospital only in the evening and her parents spent the whole night there. Soon my parents noticed that I was always late and asked for an explanation. I had to tell them everything about Annie and our relationships, about our meetings, conversations, feelings, and finally about the accident. My parents were confused and didn't know what to say at once. Of course, they supported me and tried to cheer me up somehow. I was grateful to them, at least for that. Soon, when Annie recovered her senses and was transferred to a regular ward, the doctors made a disappointing diagnosis. They said that Annie's lower body wouldn't move and that she could be a disabled person for the rest of her life, unless several expensive surgeries were performed and she took a long term rehabilitation course. When the doctor named the necessary amount of money, Annie's mother bursts into tears. Her family simply couldn't find that money, and the chances of success of all surgeries were slim. But after all, they were chances. This news shocked me. Think about it I was just a teenager, I had neither a job nor income. I was completely helpless in the situation when my girlfriend was in danger of being disabled for the rest of her life. But I knew people who could help us get out of this situation. They were my parents. That evening, I told them about Annie's disability and asked for help. When my parents heard about my girlfriend's diagnosis, they freaked out. I saw how their facial expressions changed. They considered this for a moment, and then... They refused to help and demanded that I had to forget about Annie and return to the life of an ordinary high school student. They agreed to transfer me to another school and even move to another city and do everything so that I couldn't cast my lot with a disabled person. I couldn't believe it. Their suggestion was simply disgusting. Annie and I were very happy when we spent time together. We had many common interests. Both of us enjoyed studying and learning something new. We always had something to talk about. Now Annie meant the world to me. That's why I objected to their decision and I started a starveling's revolt. I ate nothing, hardly slept, and even refused water for more than a week. I felt really bad, I lost a few pounds, but I couldn't do otherwise. After all, I was the only one who could help Annie somehow. My head was constantly swimming and my stomach hurt terribly. My parents were angry with me all the time, but I didn't back down. I was so exhausted in a week that I eventually fainted because of starving. I regained consciousness in a hospital. My parents were sitting next to me and the doctors surrounded me. When they saw that I came to myself, my mother started crying and my father said that he agreed to pay for Annie's treatment, but only on one condition. He demanded that I had to forget about her forever and couldn't even think about continuing to communicate with her in any way, including meetings, calls, or just messages. I realized that I would have no other chance to help Annie. I loved her too much to risk her health for my own selfish desires. That day, I came to Annie with a big bunch of flowers. I decided not to tell her about what happened to me and my parents and about our agreement. Instead, I told her that we should break up she didn't even have time to ask me anything, as I called her disabled, flawed, told her something about a better life, Annie burst into tears. I was so ashamed and left her ward. My father signed the papers and Annie got the first surgery scheduled. A few days later, she flew abroad where the best doctors and a long period of rehabilitation awaited her. I deleted all her contacts and had to change my phone number, get a new email and pages on social media. Annie did the same and we finally lost touch with one another. I haven't heard anything about her for more than six months. My parents were the only ones who knew anything about her because they were her sponsors and they constantly received new checks. It was a good sign for me because it meant that Annie was all right and she was being treated. However, it was very difficult for me. I wasn't interested in studying in communicating with friends and in life anymore. There was a huge hole in my heart and nothing could fill it. Often, I refused to eat because I didn't want to eat at all, and if I forced myself to swallow at least a piece of food, I immediately vomited and felt even worse. At the suggestion of my parents, I started going to a psychologist, but his counseling didn't help me at all. I was deeply depressed and absolutely didn't want to do anything. My parents tried to distract me somehow. They signed me up for different courses and so on. I've changed over 20 clubs in a couple of months, swimming, football, basketball, taekwondo, skiing, chess. This list is endless. My parents refused to understand that Annie was not a fling for me and chess or skiing couldn't replace her. Soon I started feeling so bad that the doctors sounded the alarm and asked my parents to find out the cause of my prolonged depression and eliminate it as soon as possible. Only then. My parents realized that my feelings for Annie were not a fling. It turned out that Annie had long returned to our city and was rapidly recovering. The wheelchair was replaced by crutches, which was a tremendous progress, but I knew nothing about it and I didn't even try to find it out because I was afraid that my father would stop financing Annie's treatment. So for me, it was a huge shock when I saw Annie in our living room. I even thought that I had lost my mind and it was just an illusion. I was sure that I would never see her again. I thought that Annie hated me for what I said in the ward. It turned out that my parents told Annie that they had been financing her treatment all this time and that our breakup was a condition for this. My parents kept apologizing to us for a long time for the fact that they didn't take our feelings seriously and forced us to break up. As an apology, they promised Annie to pay for her treatment until the end and canceled a ridiculous arrangement. After that. We began to spend time together again. We were preparing for classes together, reading books, and visiting various exhibitions and concerts. I paid no attention neither to crutches nor to Annie's limping. I was pleased to see her smile and I was happy to be with her. Annie's parents became frequent visitors to our house. My mother invited them to dinner every week and my father even went fishing with Annie's father several times. Annie and I were happy that neither the financial issue, Nor the stigma of a noble family had prevented our parents from becoming true friends. Now Annie has left for another rehabilitation course sponsored by my parents. And I do believe that soon we will be together again and she will no longer need crutches. Thanks for listening to my story.
4: I've always heard that being homeschooled was boring. And I guess sometimes it could be true. You don't get to meet a lot of people, you don't get to make new friends. The only people I know are my parents, my cousins, and the three tutors my mom and dad hired to teach me. But I never got lonely. And my life was amazing. See, my parents are both owners of a huge game developing company. They're huge gamers themselves. So as soon as I could speak, mom and dad have been sharing their passion with me. While most kids are prohibited by their parents from playing video games, I was encouraged to do so. My first ever birthday gift was an Xbox. I would play day in and day out. On one condition, of course, that I finish my homework before I put a controller in my hand. What's more is that Mom and Dad paid me for it. For every hour that I put into playing games, they paid me a hundred bucks! I was their most important game tester. I would be the first one to try out every new game they made. And depending on whether or not I enjoyed it, They would either release the game or scrap it altogether. Not everyone agreed with my parents' methods, though. I heard the neighbors talking behind my mom and dad's back when they came to visit. They would express their concerns about me being cooped up at home and being in front of a screen most of the time. And the kids in our neighborhood didn't like me at all. I think they were jealous that mom and dad let me do what I want. And they were jealous of the fact that I had all the games I wanted and all the consoles that their parents never got for them. I had all the Xboxes, all the Playstations, three gaming PCs, and every handheld imaginable. Well, they had to do chores. I was getting paid to play games. I thought having lots of toys would make making friends much easier. I thought I could invite them over and they'd like me. But they only came for my toys. They didn't care about me at all, and they certainly didn't want to be friends. In fact, whenever they'd come over to visit, they'd grab my controller from me and banish me from the game room. We don't want you in here, Nolan. Yeah, you're weird. You have no friends, and you're homeschooled. Homeschooled kids always turn out weird. I bet you'll grow up to become a creep. Now get out! They didn't care that it was my console, my game room, or my house. They treated me like I was some sort of pest. High school was different, though. I convinced my parents to send me to a regular school. And because I begged and begged and promised Mom and Dad that I'd make sure I'd get top grades, they eventually let me. It was tough. I didn't know anyone. And I was a huge nerd. At first, some people were interested in getting to know the new kid. When I opened my mouth, everything fell apart. I had no idea how to talk to other people, and most of the time, I'd ramble on and on and on and on and on about boring subjects. Eventually, I got branded as the school weirdo, and not many people wanted to hang out with me. There were a few people who did hang out with me, but it wasn't great. They only wanted to be my friends because of the things I had. Whenever there was a big game release, they would use me to ask my parents to give them the game before it hits the stores. And they would constantly badger me about getting free merch. They supported me whenever I'd compete in esports tournaments, but only so that they could get free tickets and sit in the VIP area. They've weaseled their way into more than a few exclusive events and Comic Cons just by being my friend. And at first, I was happy to share all the perks in my life. After all, they were my friends. But then, they stopped talking to me at school. They would ignore me whenever they didn't need anything from me. And when I'd try to sit with them, they'd shoo me away. It got to a point where they treated me like they didn't know me at all. Where <sighs> why are you here? Can't you, like, go eat somewhere else? Yeah, can't you see we're talking here? Unless you've got a new game you're giving us, you can't sit with us. Now leave. The only time I got to really see them was when there was a sleepover or a party at my house. Whenever that happened, they were all in attendance. And they acted like angels in front of Mom and Dad. But as soon as they left us alone, they'd push me out of the room and force me to sit outside. Luckily, high school didn't last forever. And in college, I finally got over my awkward phase. I met a pretty girl called Hanako, and we hit it off instantly. She and I liked a lot of the same things. She was a gamer too, and we spent a lot of our time talking about our favorites and playing together. One day, my mom and dad hired me to officially be a game tester for their company, and I convinced them to hire Hanako as well. We studied during the day, and at night, we played to our heart's content. Hanako and I fell deeply in love, or at least I did. Because one night, as I was sitting in the dark with my mom, my friends and our co-workers getting ready to surprise Hanako for her birthday, she walked in with someone none of us were expecting. It was my dad. And they were kissing. They had no idea we were there. As they made their way into the house, Hanako turned the lights on. She jumped in utter shock. She was so mortified at discovering that everyone she knew was there. It looked like her spirit left her body. Uh, happy birthday. Uh, I, I guess. Dad went into panic mode. Nora, uh, sweetheart, it's not what it looks like. Really? Were you giving your son's girlfriend first aid? Was she drowning from the air so you had to resuscitate her? I want you out of the house, Joe! I want you out tonight! Baby, Nora, sweetheart! Calm down, it's nothing. She's just a fling. Come on now, you know how it is with these girls. They attach themselves to powerful men like me because they want to get ahead at work. I promised her a promotion, that's it. Excuse me? Hanako finally snapped out of her shock. She was mad. A fling? You liar! You told me you were going to leave her, for me! You told her you'd get rid of her and we could finally run the company together! Then she turned to my mom and looked her up and down. You are old news! I'm the new queen in town! Mom wasted no time in slapping her across the face. You'll be homeless and broke before I let any of that happen, Missy. I admire your ambition, but you flew too close to the sun. As it so happens, I invited the entire board of directors tonight. And after this display, I doubt any one of them will side with either of you. I move to remove my soon-to-be ex-husband as CEO and board member. All in favor? One hand rose up from the crowd, then two. Soon, every single board member there had their hands up. Mom smiled at Hanako. Oh, and you're fired, sweetheart. But why is the entire board of directors here? Because I... had an important announcement to make. I invited all these people here... because... I took out a small velvet box from my pocket, and I showed them the gold ring inside. The diamond was massive, and when Hanako saw it, her eyes saw dollar signs. Well, this was all a huge mistake anyways. We can still fix this, uh, right? I laughed in her face. Get lost, gold digger! Don't ever come near me again! I threw the ring into the fireplace and walked out of there. I managed to keep the tears in until I was alone, but as soon as I went out and sat down in the garden, I started sobbing like a baby. I thought Hanukkah was the love of my life. I loved her with all my heart, and just like that, everything was ruined. I didn't know what to do or how to keep going, but someone showed me kindness that night. I felt a tap on my shoulder, and when I looked up, I saw my secretary, June. She offered me a tissue and I took it gratefully. I blew my nose and apologized. What for? For... (laughs) Losing it? For crying over a stupid gold digger? June giggled. I... (laughs) I'm, I'm sorry for laughing. I'm not laughing at you. I know. It probably hurts a lot. But. If I were you, I wouldn't waste a single tear over someone like that. You are Nolan Summers. You're a prodigy at gaming. You've been an incredible game tester since you were a kid. You've won several international esports competitions. You're a legend amongst gamers. And your family owns the country's biggest game company. If anything, she should be the one crying now. I smiled at her. "'Thank you. You're very kind for saying all that. I'm just stating facts. You're amazing, and any girl would be lucky to have you.' Thanks to June, I learned to get back up and try again. I focused all my energy into work. I developed amazing games with my mom, and when my dad tried to start up his own game company, we crushed him beneath our heels and sued him for using our trademarks and ideas.' He and Hanako soon broke up when she realized he was going to be broke for a long time, and she never got any jobs in the gaming industry after news of the scandal broke out. Last I heard, she was flipping burgers for a living. I took the company to New Heights, and then my own pet project won Game of the Year. I was so happy that day that I decided to propose again, this time to June. She said yes. We're four years married now and I can't be happier. We have two kids and I built them both an amazing game room. One day, when they're old enough, June and I will share with them the wonderful world of gaming that I discovered when I was little.
2: My name is Alan. I have a wife and two young daughters. I'm just an ordinary man who has a boring office job. But what I'm about to tell you is something incredible. For this story, I need you to open your mind as much as you can. I won't judge you if you don't believe me. To tell you the truth, if my family hadn't gone through what I have, I wouldn't believe myself either. It all started when we moved into this house where my parents had lived all their lives. My mother had recently passed away and the house was uninhabited. We decided that what she would have wanted was for us to live there. To fill the house with new and beautiful memories with our granddaughters. What we didn't know was that we were not going to be alone. At first, we only heard strange noises in the house. The children would tell me that they saw people walking around at night. That the doors would open and close by themselves. Or that the doorbell would ring by itself. I can't deny the noises. But the kids had never lived in a big house. So the rest was probably a product of their imagination. After a while, even I could deny what was happening. Doors opened and closed on their own without the slightest drop of air running through the house. The faucets opened and some rooms were freezing in the middle of summer. All this would have been enough for me to leave except for one detail. I was sure that the presence that inhabited the house was my mother. At first, I was afraid, but eventually I began to hear someone humming a familiar song. It was the same one my mother used to sing to me when I was little. My family didn't seem very convinced of this, but I convinced them by making them see what was going on in the house had never hurt any of us in any way. Everything was fine for a while. We tried to get used to what was going on, but things started to get worse. Some dishes started flying dangerously against us. The kids felt constantly watched, and even I started to get a strange feeling that something bad was going to happen. Was my mom mad about something, or was there something else in the house? we had only one way to find out, ask her. The day we chose to do it was Halloween, since that was the night when all the spirits are most active and all the paranormal activity increases. We bought an Ouija board with my wife and no one looked at us worried. Apparently, everyone bought them for this date. When the night came, the girls went to a friend's house to spend the night and ask for candy. So the house was only for me, my wife, and my brother, who proposed to help us with the process.
5: Playing with the Ouija board on Halloween. How fitting, right?
1: Make one more joke and I'll go trick-or-treating with the girls.
2: (laughs) Mothers-in-law are really scary, aren't they? (laughs) Without further words, we started to play. We started asking her simple questions, like if there was someone on the other side or if she lives with us in the house. But when we asked her if she was my mother, the board went to no. The mood changed immediately.
1: Alan, it said no.
5: Is my mother with you? Can we talk to her?
1: Alan, I don't like this. We should get going.
5: What do you want from us?
1: B L O.
2: O. D. Before I could say anything, the board shook much harder and suddenly it launched itself at me. To hell with saying goodbye! Let's go! My brother screamed in terror as we all started to run. The house began to shake and all the paintings fell down. We reached the exit door and everyone ran to the car, but I stopped. Behind me, I heard my mother humming the lullaby.
1: Alan, what the hell are you doing? Let's go!
2: No, I have to check to
5: see if I see my mom. Wait for me! I promise I'll be right back! Just let it be! That is not mom!
2: Without hearing them yelling at me to come back, I went back into the house. Maybe it sounds crazy. Hell, it was probably crazy. But I wanted to hold on to the slim chance of seeing her again one last time. I went into the room where we played Ouija and the light in the next room, the kitchen, began to flicker. I stood in the dining room, looking at her, and there she was. My mom, upon seeing me, stopped humming the song. I was about to hug her, but I felt something strange that prevented me from going. But at the same time, my body was totally paralyzed, and I could only stand there looking at her. She never was, just something that played with me from the beginning. I got in the car crying and as Cheryl was scolding me, I looked at the window of the house and standing in it was my mother standing there, greeting me with a huge smile. Her eyes and mouth were cooked as she finished waving at me. Her face was shaking like the monster I had seen in the kitchen. Several months passed since everything happened. After my brother put us up in his house, we were able to raise the money to move out on our own again. We did not suffer any paranormal event again, nor did we try to sell that house. We do not wish that nightmare on anyone else. From now on, no more ghosts. I will only spend time with my wife and daughters. It's what my mother would have wanted. Hey guys. I hope you're enjoying the video if so please leave a like and also a small percentage of people that watch my videos are actually subscribed if you want to support this channel and make this channel reach the one million mark please consider subscribing it's free and you can change your mind later enjoy this incident happened one halloween night since then i have stopped celebrating halloween in my house my wife and i couldn't have children of our own hence we generally had a soft corner for kids. My wife, Samara, would buy lots and lots of candies before every Halloween to give to the neighborhood kids. So this one Halloween, we went to the supermarket to pick up groceries and candies. While returning home, we saw cop cars in front of our neighbor's house. Feeling curious, I stopped the car.
1: Oh, I think something bad has happened here.
2: So many cops here.
1: Look, the paramedics are coming too.
2: My wife pointed out the ambulance coming our way. And I realized the gravity of the situation. A group of people were decorating the streets for Halloween. But now, they were all gathered around the house watching the scene with us. Two cops came out of the house, and we heard a woman's shrill cry.
1: Oh, God! My son! My poor Liam! Oh, God! I want him back! I want him back! Please!
2: We saw our neighbor, Mr. Dempsey, trying his best to hold his paranoid wife. Miss Dempsey was out of control. She was screaming and crying like hell. The paramedics went in. The paramedics went in and took out a smaller boy that was wrapped in black polythene. It wasn't hard to tell from the size of the boy that it belonged to a child. The cops took away the body, and Mr. and Ms. Dempsey went to the paramedics. My wife and I were still standing there with no clue whatsoever. When we saw two men coming our way, I asked one of them. Excuse me, what happened here? Oh,
5: don't ask, man. Poor Dempsey's. They lost their child before Halloween. What? Why? What happened? Uh, Their seven-year-old son was playing in the basement when he accidentally locked himself inside an old cupboard. Mr. and Mrs. Dempsey were upstairs in the kitchen when they called out to their son for dinner and he didn't show up. They felt weird and went down to check on him. They searched the entire basement but couldn't find him.
1: That's horrifying. How did they find him then?
5: Well, Mrs. Dempsey saw a piece of blue cloth peeking out from the cupboard door.
2: She opened it, and then found the poor, lifeless kid inside the cupboard. Samara got emotional, and I too felt extremely bad for the Dempseys. No pain in this world could surpass the pain of losing your child. We came home, and Samara didn't talk the entire afternoon. She just sat on our porch and watched the neighbors dressing up for Halloween. Once the sun went down... Kids started to come out of their houses wearing all kinds of spooky costumes. They went door to door asking for candies. No matter how disheartened we were, we still got up, brought our candy bowls, and gave them to all the kids who came trick-or-treating.
1: You know, Jonah, I just realized something today.
2: Samara said while closing the door after distributing the last bit of candies to a group of kids. What's that, hon?
1: It's good that we don't have kids. At least I don't have to be afraid of losing them. I just can't imagine what pain Mrs. Dempsey is going through right now.
2: I could see her teary eyes. I hugged her and kissed her on the forehead. Come on, let's go to bed. You need to sleep.
1: That poor kid.
2: We went upstairs. I stood in front of the bedroom window for a while. The entire neighborhood had gone quiet by the time. All the kids were back home. Every house was glittering with lights and candles placed inside pumpkin heads except the Dempsey's. Their house was in complete darkness. Heaving a sigh of sorrow, I went to bed too. I don't remember when I fell asleep, but suddenly a noise woke me up. Rubbing my eyes, I got up on the bed and heard that noise again. Someone was knocking on the door. I looked at the clock. It was 2.30 in the morning. Samara was deeply asleep. I came downstairs and opened the door. To my surprise, a kid was standing on my porch. A boy wearing a blue t-shirt and white shorts. He kept his head down so I couldn't see his face.
5: Hey, kiddo. Why are you out so late?
2: Do your parents know you're here? No. The kid's voice sounded so weird to my ears. Also, the fact that he was dressed so casually startled me a bit. After all, it was Halloween, and this kid was not in a costume. I asked again. Are you alright? As the kid lifted his head. I almost got a heart attack. His face was pale like a blank sheet, and his eyes were completely black, darker than the darkness. Whoa, you look pretty spooky.
5: This was a good idea for a Halloween costume, though. I'm hungry. Can I have some candies? He opened his palm, saying this.
2: You're a little late, buddy, but uh, let me see what I can do. Wait here, okay? The kid tilted his head to the right and just stood that way like a statue. I thought to myself that this kid not only nailed his Halloween look, but also acted scarily. I went to check the fridge and found a half-eaten chocolate bar. I grabbed it and came back to the door to give it to the kid, but he was gone. Thinking the kid had gotten inside, I quickly turned around and said, Hey, I have some chocolate for you. Take it and go home. Your parents must be worried. But the kid was nowhere to be seen. I was contemplating what just happened when I heard chuckling and running footsteps in our basement. I opened the basement door and yelled.
5: Come out of there, kiddo. It's too late to play here. Come on, let me take you home. I can't see. It's so dark in here. Just like last time.
2: I turned on the basement light, but shockingly, it didn't turn on. I remember very well that the light was working just fine in the afternoon. Thinking the kid might get scared down there... I grabbed a small flashlight and started walking down the basement stairs. Two white bedsheets were hanging on the wire at the end of the basement. As I flashed my light at the gap between those sheets, I saw the kid standing there and staring at me with a creepy big smile. Okay, time to go home now. Saying this, I walked to the bedsheets and as I moved them to catch the kid, the hair at the back of my neck stood up. I found myself standing alone in the basement. It was as if the kid just vanished in thin air. There was no one. I repeat, no one behind those sheets. A chilling wind turned the atmosphere around me cold. That's when I heard the chuckle once again. Turning around, I now saw the kid standing right behind me. Blue veins had appeared on his pale face, and the black, thick liquid was dripping down from his eyes. He snatched the chocolate bar from my hand, and I felt his touch. His hands were colder than ice.
5: What? Who are you? I am Liam Dempsey. Can you take me home now? I think I'm lost. Can you help me?
2: (laughs) Oh my god! That's it. I don't remember after that. I fainted, and Samara found me in the basement when she came looking for me in the morning. She was surprised and kept asking me why I was sleeping on the basement floor the entire night but I couldn't tell her what I saw. I often heard about these black-eyed kids, but it was my first time with a real one. I don't know why poor Liam turned into a black-eyed kid, but I think the fact that he died in darkness somehow made him look that way. What do you think? a traumatic situation can break a child sometimes it's hard to admit but my own father is a disgusting monster when i was young although he was never particularly fond of me he didn't treat me bad either on the other hand with my sister that man was different ever since jane was born six years after me our father was always very close to her pampering and overprotecting her all the time our mother thought she was just daddy's spoiled daughter But two years ago, we found out what he was really doing to her at the time. Something that shouldn't be done to a child. Soon, mom denounced him, and so he left our lives. But my sister had already been very affected. As a 10-year-old girl, Jane suffered from fits of rage and was very emotionally dependent on her family. More on me than her mother. She didn't like to play with other children or leave the house. In fact... When she saw another man, she would start screaming. For two years, Jane had been receiving therapy. She had even changed her psychologist several times. But her case was progressing slowly. Still, our mom didn't want my sister to be given any kind of medication. Adam! I'm here, in the kitchen. Uh, What's going on?
1: Why didn't you wake me up? You're having breakfast without
2: me? Oh, chill out. Even though I asked her to, her angry expression didn't change.
5: You were sleeping so peacefully, I I didn't want to... Anyway, I I prepared your food, okay? Do you like leaving me alone? You know I don't. I I just did it to let you rest, I think. Right. I
1: needed to rest, because today is Halloween.
5: But you don't even like to go out.
1: I'll wait all night for you to bring me my candy.
2: (laughs) Uh... It was common for me to do that on Halloween. And in fact, I like to bring her candy to make her happy. But that year... I had different plans.
5: I'm sorry, little one, but tonight I won't be able to make it.
1: But what about my candy?
5: I'll buy you some tomorrow. It's
1: not the same. What are you going to do then, huh?
2: The truth was that, weeks ago, my best friend Billy had invited me and Emma, another friend, to a Halloween party.
1: Are you going out with Emma?
5: I'm going out with my friends. It'll just be this time,
2: okay? In the evening that same day, I was ready. I had disguised myself as a skeleton. In fact, I was truly satisfied with my appearance. A short time later, I received a message from Emma. I'm outside your house, it said, since we had planned to go to Billy's Halloween party together. As I opened the front door of my house. (laughs) Looks good on you.
1: I was going to say exactly the same.
2: (laughs) Luckily, the abandoned house where Billy had planned to have the party wasn't too far away, but we had to cross a path through the woods. After a while. We arrived at an old building.
5: It's pretty obvious it's here, isn't it? I mean, I can't remember the
2: last time I heard so much noise.
1: Oh, shut up. Let's have some fun.
2: My friend took me by the hand, and together, we ran towards the place. Arriving at the front door, she rang the bell. Soon, Billy opened it. Man, you came! Hey!
1: Let's get to the point, Billy. Where are the drinks?
5: Follow me- Can you check that, Adam? I'll be right back.
2: I didn't mind helping him, so I turned and walked to the door. Huh? But there's no one... Shit! As a reflex action, I had moved away. But I went back to the door as soon as the bell rang again.
5: What the hell? A A fucking mask?
2: The stranger stood still for a few seconds, until suddenly they launched towards the doorbell camera.
5: Stop it already! (laughs) What's up, Adam? I thought you were going to open the door. It was a kid making a joke. If you say so. Come on! Don't you want to dance with Emma?
2: I put aside what had happened and walked over to my friend, who was already dancing in the crowd. Adam! I joined her, which really relaxed me, as moving my body to the music was quite fun until I saw that person again. The broken doll was now inside the house, separated from the other people.
1: What's wrong?
2: I think there is a child at the party.
1: A child?
2: (laughs) In the blink of an eye, my friend's expression changed to one of fear.
5: Uh,
2: Emma? When she fell to the ground, I could see that she had a knife stuck in her torso.
5: Uh, Emma! uh,
2: Billy, come here! My friend came after a few seconds, when the people around were realizing what was happening.
5: Shhh! What happened? I... I don't know! What the fuck are you waiting for? Call an ambulance!
2: I took my cell phone out of one of my pants pockets, but I couldn't concentrate.
5: I... I can't do anything with such loud music! Well, then go upstairs, genius!
2: It didn't take me long to walk among the people, until I reached the stairs of the house and went up to the second floor. I typed the emergency number and was about to call. What? The broken doll was there, coming up the stairs in an oddly wobbly way.
1: Did you like what I did to Emma?
5: What the?
2: My heart started beating fast when I saw the person had a knife in their hand, so I decided to run along a hall, enter a room, and lock the door.
5: Adam,
1: I need you.
2: I could barely see in there.
1: What the heck?
5: What the heck? You are there, aren't you? Get out, I need you. Is, is this a fucking joke? I'm calling the police! The police? What for? Forget that. I need you. Let's go
1: for my candy together.
2: My skin got goosebumps the moment I realized.
1: Jane? I'm not afraid to go out anymore. I can take care of anyone who wants to hurt me. <laughs> you saw it yourself.
2: My sister was too young to go to jail and broken enough to be sent to a mental hospital. So that's where she is now. After the attack, I did my best to apologize to Emma. But that didn't make it any better, as it had been too traumatic for everyone involved. Sometimes, it's hard to admit, but I don't miss Jane.
0: Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week.